0: Hello and thank you for joining us for this Hagley History Hangout. I am Gregory Hargreaves, Program Officer in the Center for the History of Business, Technology and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library. And I'm being joined today by Dr. Karen Mahar, Professor and Co-Director of American Studies at Siena College. Good morning, Karen, thanks for joining me. morning, Greg, thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Um, Now, supported by an NEH Hagley Fellowship in 2018, Uh, Dr. Mahar used Hagley Collections to research her book project, which is called uh, Corner Office, Masculinity, and the American Business Executive. Um, Karen, let's begin with your project here. Um, How are you using gender to better understand American business culture?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Well, it started off with, um, I'm a 20th century historian, right? And so I tend to, and I, I love teaching, and I love teaching students about like, well, how did we get to where we are now? And one of the places we are now, is that there's still this really tiny number of women and people of color, for that many, for that matter, um, as CEOs or on boards, and it just doesn't move. Like that needle doesn't move very much. And I had written a book already on women filmmakers in the early 20th century, and it was the same story. And in that book, I found out that um, at least my my hypothesis was that it was when the banking industry from you know Wall Street moved into um, Hollywood. And they're like, Oh, no, 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 this is not how you run a business. And they began to define um, lots of things, including who, what kind of person you could trust with like big budgets and uh, directing people, bossing people, right? And so I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna have to like figure out where this goes. (laughs) So, um, because I really think I was right. Uh, So anyway, so that's what got me started. I've been working on and off for like uh, quite a long time, but that's what got me started. But I have to tell you, that um over the years my thinking has changed and it really changed when I was at Hagley and here's how my thinking has changed. when I was there um, I, I'm beginning in the early 20th century which is actually my favorite period anyway and um, you know I went down the stacks and I really just did what I haven't done in years which is to walk the stacks like old school and I was walking the stacks and I came across this like, book about executives in like 1917, like, you know, and it was the first, and it turned out, it was the first like textbook about like how to become an executive, what an executive ah. is. And because the word itself wasn't really even used until like 1910-ish, you know, it meant like um, an executive in government or, you know, the word, it was just used really differently. It didn't mean business executive. They existed, but the language was a little bit lagging. And so anyway, um, long story short, I was reading this um, in my lovely cubicle which was awesome um and uh, and it was all about eugenics and it was all about how you literally have to be a certain kind of man and it was this study which of course was kind of ridiculous but anyway a study about how like the leaders of any any kind of business or even like religious organization they are all literally <laughs> taller broader Have a better digestive engine. And it was like all of the all of these statistics. And it was, it was somebody from like, you know, who was like very well educated. And um, and it was the first book. And so I'm like, huh. And so so to make a long story short, um, I began to really rethink this in terms of, and I've been thinking about this for a while, in terms of casting it more broadly. It's really not about women, right? It's about the men. And it it's about a certain kind of man, and that man is is white, right? typically white and has a certain bearing and but i'm finding out and so it's it's not just about gender anymore it's really it's really about man and masculinity but if you step back it's about being black or being you know even jewish like there's a lot of anti-semitism that i'm discovering um it's about being anything except sort of this idealized corporate executive um, who you know looks a lot like our current president in terms of a lot of people's mind, like that kind of masculinity that is seen as a natural leader. And so um, I'm really, I'm looking at men, but not again, it started with looking at women, but now I'm like, like what I'm finding, and this is probably no surprise to anybody, but what I'm tracing is that you have over the 20th century and starting in the 19th century, you have these systems about who is a good leader? Or, or, or how do you judge a person's abilities? And what I found a lot, well, like past World War One, was systems that were not just like eugenics, like, oh, we're gonna scientifically prove, you know, who's the better man, but it's phrenology. Like all of these, these I mean, like pseudoscience, but it was like eugenics, pseudoscience, but like it was taken as science. Wow. And so there's all these, like what it seems to me is like we keep reinventing systems for keeping leaders looking white and male. And so what I'm really doing now is like looking at these systems and we still make, we still do them. We just keep reinventing the scientific system. Does that make sense?
0: Right, yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, so that's kind of what I'm doing and I'm looking at it through the lens of, of you know executives in the United States, uh-huh. yeah. but, um, but like the bigger picture, is like, whoa, <laughs> we keep reinventing these systems. And so I'm just tracing the systems that they used in, in management, mm-hmm. but there's systems all over the place in all kinds of fields. Um, but this is the one that I'm doing. So that's my lens. I'm looking at business, but what I'm really looking at something bigger. It's like, yeah. how do we keep reinventing this belief? And it's to the present day. Um, actually what I found there's a lot of a lot of what I do is not done so much in the United States like my questions and and uh, that kind of thing but often in like Australia and Canada and New Zealand even and some of the work that they had done down there was looking at current corporate headhunters okay and so mm-hmm. and these corporate headhunters were literally looking for tall men they didn't say white but tall men like they're still looking for that yeah. and so um you know, like outright, and I don't know if I would find it here. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the early 20th century. So I'll get there. But, um, but nonetheless, I'm like, wow, like, we just keep reinventing it. So anyway, so that's, that's what I'm doing. So I I look at management systems, and I look at individual entrepreneurs, because there's always exceptions to the rule. And if you've proven yourself, um, you know, then, then you're okay. But if you're looking for like, new talent, you definitely go for this, this stereotype, which keeps getting, you know, reinvented.
0: It sounds more like you're describing livestock than, uh, than.
1: Oh, I know humans. Oh, I, okay. So I have to tell you a story. Um, so I'm sitting in my cubicle, and Roger Horowitz, he like, <laughs> he's so great. He knocks on my door and he's like, "I have something you should see." And I'm like, "All right." And he brings in this DuPont, this something from DuPont personnel, and it's 1941 to 1942. And they were looking, they're like, oh, there's gonna be a shortage of PhDs in chemistry. And so we better get really on it because you know, the war is coming. And so it's like, a, it looks like a yearbook, like you open it up and there's like a the, on one side, there's, you know, it looks like passport photos or yearbook photos of these PhDs. And on the other side, you have the notes from personnel, like, cause they interviewed uh-huh. them. Uh-huh. And the notes are unbelievable. So um, I was just looking at it last night, thinking about uh, talking to you today. And I'm just like, it just, it's such, a treasure, and he's like, "You could write an article just about that." I'm like, "Yeah, I totally could, and I probably should." So anyway, so so these descriptions of the men, it starts out with things you would expect. Starts out with you know where they went to school, what they studied, who they're with, you know who they studied with, that kind of thing. Oh, what their dissertation is, and then the personal comments always start with their appearance. Always start with the tall, short, blonde, dark. It's got their weight. It's got their height because that's important for a chemist. Um, and it, it goes into ethnicities almost right away, and they they rate them. Be you know, like, there's five categories of ratings, and often at the bottom are people. They're like, no, nope, too Jewish. 1941 to 42, or they'll just say too foreign looking. You know, and I have the pictures, and I'm looking at the pictures, and I'm like, what? You know, like you can't. You know, and so it's just. It seems bananas to still find that in the early 40s, especially the anti-Semitism, which is like the strongest note, which is pervasive. It wasn't just DuPont, you know, um, but it's so that's what I'm finding. It's like when you get down to the nitty gritty about like, who do you who do you want to lead? And it's very much about them having executive ability. So they're PhDs in science. Um, and so they they're like, OK, good in lab work, you know, original thinking. But what they're really looking for, what gets in the highest mark is like, oh, we can see this person being an executive. And they so, literally say that. And that's what gets in the highest mark. And and from my reading of this, what gets in the highest mark is not their scientific credentials. It's what they look like. You know, it's something else too. It's often like this thing they call personality. And that's um, definitely one of the leading things because they come up with all these all these tests, you know, obviously the IQ test and other tests for like, but they don't, they decide right after World War I when they come up with these IQ tests that it doesn't work for executives. And it doesn't work for executives because it doesn't measure this thing called personality, which gives you that much room to figure out like (laughs) who fits, you know, and so, um, but they're serious about it. They're like, oh no, no, there's this like magic something but it seems to me that magic something has a lot to do with what they would call in that time, like manly bearing. Mm. Like, can you lead? Are people gonna trust you? Are stakeholders gonna trust you? Are, are you know, people who own stocks, are they gonna trust you? It's, it's a lot of it's about that. And I think that's really what this is. But my job is to trace it and nail it. So the problem with me at um, Hagley is that it's everywhere <laughs> and it's it's so hard to know like what to look at next it, it's just taking me forever because it's everywhere but i think i'm finally getting a handle on it but anyway i'm, I'm talking too much but there you go
0: That's well it. no it, yeah. it's totally fascinating and um do you find this very similarly across industries Um, Yeah,
1: I'm not looking at any one industry, although that would probably save my sanity, but no, I'm not doing (laughs) that, um, because I really have, I don't know, my brain thinks like bird's eye, you know, Mm. so I'm finding it, I'm really looking at what, where it shows up, and actually it shows up mostly in prescriptive literature, like, um, like who is an executive, like who should be an executive, or tests for executives, you know, it's in this idealization. So it's actually a little bit harder to like say, okay, oh, here's where it really pans out. And that's why what Roger brought me was so important because it's like, here it is concrete. It happens at, you know, at the, you know, ground level. You can see it actually being enacted right here.
0: Yeah, it's a gatekeeping function.
1: Yes, but, but you can see the gate, but to see yeah. the people not getting through the gate and the actual, you know, evidence for that. Is really key because you know a lot of personal records are very difficult to get. They're often destroyed, so um, it's really that is that is like a treasure. When you drop that, Jimmy. I almost fainted. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, just, so, I just, I suspect too, as these um, yeah. systems uh, are reiterated generation after generation, yeah. the the previous iteration lo- begins to look embarrassing.
1: Oh, even oh, though they-
0: it's it's being used for the exact same purpose, right?
1: That is one of the. I'm using things is when they're like, oh no, they didn't know what they were talking about. This is what we're doing now. Oh, they, were, they misunderstood everything but they just recreate the same thing, you know? So yeah, so it goes from, it goes from eugenics, right? And so that's heyday for eugenics is like, you know 1910s, early 1920s, it starts to kind of trail off and then you get, you know, new human relations. Oh, you have to, you know, you have to understand your workers. Well, who best understands the worker? who can best lead the workers. They just reiterate it. So yeah, they throw out the previous system, embrace the new one, but the new one is like embedded with the same values, right? And again, I don't think this is a shock to anybody. I don't think I'm like blowing anybody away, but but we all know this, but like, I don't think anyone's really traced it. And it shows up all over the place. It shows up in all kinds of like markers of masculinity. And we know, that's why I call it corner office. The corner office is a marker that you're the leader, right? So these are markers, and so the markers tend to exclude certain kinds of people, and that's what I'm after. But the markers about masculinity, because even among men, you know, there's this there's this hierarchy of who can be a leader, who can, often based on how tall you are. I mean, it, it sounds nuts, but it's true. In fact, in fact, there's a study not too long ago, which you may have seen, that people who are taller literally get paid more. Like now.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So I mean, we just—it's in the air we breathe. These values, mm. you know, but it's—it's it's well, nice to sort of force them into the sunlight.
0: Exactly. Some of sometimes yeah. that's the most powerful research is when you is as as you say, you can bring to light something that's yeah um, yeah so, so to speak. Uh, you know, fish don't know they're swimming in water.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Exactly until right.
0: they're told. <laughs> right,
1: right, right, yeah. right. Well.
0: yeah. Um, so. I, I wonder how did your time at Hagley, um, aid your professional development, particularly as a senior scholar?
1: Oh my God, I can't even tell you. So I'm in a teaching college and I totally love to teach. I really do. And, um, and I put tons of energy in it and I really don't put enough into, um, my research, which Hmm. is really frustrating, but like, you know, we make our choices. So, um, I, uh, I can't really overestimate how important it was um, for me to get that because it gave me a year off, and I and I have the kind of brain that doesn't transition very well, and so when I'm teaching, teaching, teaching is very hard for me to keep up with my scholarship. I just, I just, it's not good. <laughs> so, um, so I really need a full break, and and that offered me a really full break, and I can't imagine a better place to be. And it wasn't just so much the library, which obviously is awesome, but just the people who are there and meeting younger scholars. Cause again, I'm mean, gonna teach, I don't teach graduate students. I'm in a liberal arts college. So to meet graduate students uh, from A, I learned a lot of apps <laughs> and B um, it just was so energizing. And you know, not just them, not just the younger scholars but like everybody who's there. Cause I have not been in an atmosphere like that in ages. And it's very good to hear that what you are interested in other people find important, you know, when you've been away as long as I have from graduate school, like you, you kind of like, ah, eh, well, who cares, you know? I'm a full professor, I'm like who cares? But like people do care and I, I care. And so it makes me, you know, really lit a fire under me to like keep this going and finish it for God's sake. So the support is, you know, I can't underestimate it. And you know, I, not to be immodest, but I think I was good for them too. You know, so we were living in the housing, right? Which was just gorgeous to wake up and like, look out the window and like, wow, you know? Um, and so it was just, I, it was one of the best experiences I've had, honestly. Mm. It was terrific.
0: We really strive to build a, a community of scholarship yeah. and, of scholars. Yeah.
1: And it, no, it I'm still in like touch with them. Yeah, and just understand, like they, oh, I can't even, um, they taught me so much about what's going on now and the questions people are asking now. and. It, just was, it was terrific. Yeah.
0: Well, I have One question uh, yeah. that I'm sure the audience is burning to hear your take <laughs> on as well. What, what are the implications of your work for the present day? Uh, as you say, these systems of, um, uh, of valuing certain traits in a leader right. are still with us uh, quite evidently. So um, maybe what are the implications that you could share for the present?
1: Well, I hope it gets picked up by people who actually do this like not just historians, but like, if it gets, you know what I mean? Like if it gets a plug in, you know, um, Fortune Magazine, I'd be okay with that. Or Business Week or someplace where like people see it, you know, because it it matters to me what people do now. And I love history and I'm a 20th century historian because I'm really interested in like, well, how did we get here? Like right here, like right now, you know? And so um, I just hope it has some actual effect. Like I hope people like it as scholarship. I hope they're like, "Oh wow, she really did research." You know, I hope that happens. I hope it's well written. I hope all those things are said. But what I really hope is that somebody sees it who can do something. You know,
0: what you know? what would you hope them to do?
1: Say we need to stop this, <laughs> and and so because you know I've been through as you have too, been through lots of gender, you know, workshops and how not to how to identify discrimination, um, but. It doesn't get to this, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't unpack this, and I keep seeing, and I hope that nobody beats me to this punch because it's so obvious to me. But I keep seeing these headlines like, "How can we? How can we change these tiny statistics of people who, you know, diversity?" And you know, how come after all these years? And I'm like, I know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know if you can change it, but you know, the first step is to admit you have a problem, right? So. Um, yeah, so I mean, I hope it's well-reviewed in the academic world, and I hope that somebody reads it who's not an academic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Because as you say, it does affect all aspects of
1: our life today. Right, right, yeah. right. My job is not to apply it though. My job is to just say, you know, here, here you go, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Karen, thank you so much uh, for chatting with me today and sharing your work. It's, uh, it's been really fascinating.
1: Oh, thank you, Greg back to it. All right. All right. Bye.
0: Bye.